word this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. Last Lord's Day, we were continuing our series uh, from the Gospel of Mark in the 10th chapter, which coincided with our series on marriage that we've been involved in as we dealt with the subject of divorce. This then is the, it's one of those days. This one then is one of those passages that we need to read to come to an understanding of what Jesus meant about the statements he said in Mark chapter 10 about divorce. And so in Matthew, we read these words. Starting then at verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But the one who is able to receive this, receive it. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for this day that we can come into thy house and worship and praise thee. We thank thee also, Lord, for presenting us this holy word, this perfect, infallible word that we have this opportunity to explore. We pray, Lord, that as we open this word and we hear it explained from Pastor Bob, that we can enter it into our hearts and ears and apply it to our lives, Lord. We pray that thou be with Pastor Bob and give him the words to explain this passage for us. We pray this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. And amen. So first of all, let's do a review. So if you have your scriptures open, let's go back to Mark chapter 10. And as you're finding that, we need to remind ourselves that it's not Mark and Matthew, uh, individual men writing down their ideas and their thoughts regarding the issue of divorce. These are not two men who are 
uh, somehow trying to recall that which has been either dictated to, to them, told them by story, or in Matthew's account has actually physically was present at these statements of Jesus. And now they're trying like crazy to remember exactly what did Jesus say. So that in Mark we have one way this is presented and in Matthew we have another way because of humanity. No, you and I believe that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. That God himself is the author of the word and that the Holy Spirit inspires Mark to record that which he recorded in Mark chapter 10. Because the Holy Spirit had a particular reason for Mark recording it one way. Matthew, being inspired by that same Holy Spirit, who is indeed God, he didn't forget. He didn't miss something in Mark. And he doesn't just quickly add something in Matthew. There is a particular reason and purpose that the Holy Spirit adds to the account that we had in Matthew, the account we just read, that is not found in Mark. So let's do that quick review. The Pharisees come to Jesus, Mark chapter 10, verse 2, with a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus directs them back to Moses. Now when we read this in Matthew, we find out that the question more fully stated was this. May a man for any reason divorce his wife for any cause? And even as we read the account in Matthew and the account of Mark here, that is the question. For any cause. The, 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 the weight rests upon that. May a man divorce his wife. Can he do it? Can he divorce his wife? Jesus' answer here in Mark chapter 10, in Luke chapter 16, and in Matthew 19 is to that question, no. If you're asking me the question, can a man for any reason divorce his wife, Jesus' answer is no. A man may not divorce his wife for any reason. Why? Then does Moses give this certificate? Well, as we went through last Lord's Day, it's to protect the woman. It's to protect the woman so that she does not have a permanent record above her head of some sort of unfaithfulness that has been done. Jesus, in answering the Pharisees, said in Mark chapter 10, reiterates it in Matthew 19, that marriage is a permanent institution. Only God can end a marriage. God can end a marriage by death. Till death do us part. So let God do 
the separating, let not man. In other words, the Mark chapter 10 passage left us with the fact that divorce is, for any cause, is not an option. Because it leads to adulterous situations. Because what it leads to is this. In the eyes of man, there's a divorce. Got a divorce, his wife burned the eggs yesterday. Got sick of it, it's the 20th time she's done it this month already. I'm sick of it, I want a divorce, I want a better cook. Man grants that divorce. God does not. God doesn't recognize that as a divorce. Now there are these two people who think they have these papers that entitles them now to go out and marry someone else. The problem is, in God's view, they're still married to one another. So if I, as a married person, go out and have intercourse with someone else who I've now married, what have I just done? I've committed adultery. See, the easy divorcism that Jesus was presented with in Mark chapter 10 leads to adulterous situations. So Jesus comes back and says, no, you cannot get a divorce for any reason. No. Moses only granted the right for you to have this certificate, not to give you permission to have divorces, but to protect the woman. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 19. That's where we were. That's where we ended. But if you recall, when we finished last Sunday, I said, there is more that Jesus says. Now, when you turn to Matthew 19, the order of things is arranged a little bit differently in Matthew. If, if you just compare it word for word, we're in the same place, we're in the same area, that remains the same. We come up with the same question about divorce, and it comes from the same group, Pharisees. Jesus gives, however, his answer in a different order in Matthew. Notice what happens. Verse 3, the question is, can they get a divorce for any reason? Jesus doesn't refer to Moses right away. Jesus doesn't say, what does Moses say? Now, he could have here, right? I pointed that out last Lord's Day morning. He could have said, what did Moses say? And they could have said, what do you mean? Well, Jesus would have said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? See, Jesus didn't ask, what did Moses command? What did Moses say? Moses said Genesis as well. Meaning that Jesus is taking us back in Matthew to the same place. It is now the Pharisees, verse 7, who raised the question about the certificate of divorce and sending her away. Jesus gives the same answer. It's because of the hardness of your heart. It wasn't permission to divorce. It's because you were so hard-hearted against your wife. It's because you're so stubborn 
about your wife. It's because the hatred in your heart against your wife is so strong that God said, you need to give her this bill, this certificate, so that she is not harmed by your hardness. But now comes the exception. In Matthew, Jesus states, verse 9, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. That's not found in Mark. In Mark, it's just left, can I get a divorce or any cause? No. No. Cannot. Why? Because it would lead to adultery. Jesus here is bringing us to the same point, but saying there is an exception. There is an exception, not necessarily to the divorce part, there is an exception to the adulterous part after the divorce. But let's walk our way through it, okay? Our Bibles use the term, or at least the ESV uses the term in verse 9, that the exception is sexual immorality. Some versions use the term marital unfaithfulness. That term makes it very clouded, right? What does the term marital unfaithfulness mean? Well, it can't mean anything. Because we have Mark to compare that to. Marital unfaithfulness cannot mean any cause. Marital unfaithfulness cannot mean the Moses Bill of Certificate statement. It, it can't refer to that situation. Because Jesus in Mark already has clarified for us that that's not acceptable. Unfaithfulness here in Matthew 19, 9 cannot mean she's unfaithful to me because she didn't do my laundry last week. She is an unfaithful wife to me because she spoiled my meal. She is an unfaithful wife to me because she didn't clean out the tent good enough. It can't mean that. Jesus already in Mark 10 is saying that's not possible. So the unfaithfulness has to be defined in terms of sexuality. That's why the better translation leads us to the term sexual immorality. But now we need to define this even more. Jesus uses a particular word here. Because there are some who say that Matthew 19 says this. Except 
for adultery, which is a very specific sexual act. Jesus did not use that word. Jesus did not say adultery. Jesus used the Greek word that we translate or is given to us as porneia, from which we get the term pornography. This is a term that is broader than what we might define strictly as adultery. For those of you, and, and I'm trying to be sensitive, but for those of you who are, who perhaps lived through the 1990s, I could refer it to it this way. Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky would be an example of pornea. The act itself, not done. Grounds by Jesus, yes. Any sort of sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse, that you are not married to, is porneia. That's what Jesus said. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except on the grounds of porneia and marries another commits adultery. So adultery is a very small, narrowly defined term. Porneia is a much broader term that includes adultery but is not exclusive to that. It's bigger than that. But it's not everything. See, it's not can a man divorce his wife for any cause. No, he cannot do that. You cannot divorce your wife for any cause. Is porneia a ground? Yes. Pornea becomes a ground. Now why? Why does that become the grounds? Well, remember, first of all, I've got to kind of put the cart before the horse. Remember where Jesus ended Mark chapter 10. Jesus is concerned about the aftermath of the divorce. If you get a divorce, what is the aftermath and situation for the divorced people in terms of their relationship to others? That's still the concern of Matthew 19. What is the relationship of these divorced people in their interactions with others now after the divorce? Jesus holds the same position and says, it's adultery, except 
if the reason the divorce was given was porneia. But you see, here we have to understand something. We have to understand an Old Testament view of what is going on here. In the Old Testament, the sins that would be included under porneia, including adultery, all ended in what? What did they all end in? Death. You're going to die. Okay? Anything that comes under this category of porneia, if you were discovered to have been involved in it in the Old Testament, they bring you to the elders, and the elders, they have charges, they have proof that you have been involved in that. What happens to you? You die. You're dead. What happens to the marriage then? It's over. So, if, let, let's just say, let's say we have this couple, okay? Mr. and Mrs. X. Mr. X is involved in some porneia event or events or lifestyle in the Old Testament. He's charged. They kill him. He's put to death. Can Mrs. X remarry? Well, of course. Why? Because her husband is dead. There's no prohibition ever against remarrying after your spouse dies. There's nothing wrong with that in the Word. Why? Because death is the event that ends the marriage. It's God's act, not man's act. So, adultery, porneia, Ends in death, marriage over. You don't need to talk about divorce. Could, could you in the Old Testament get a divorce for adultery? You don't ask the question. Why? Because nobody got a divorce for adultery in the Old Testament. Death came as a result of adultery and porneia in the Old Testament. You die. Marriage done. Person can remarry. That's Old Testament. However, when we pick up Matthew chapter 19, we're not in the Old Testament, are we? We're not being governed by the king of Israel. We're under Rome. Rome does not punish by death adultery. If it did, they never would have had a Caesar alive, right? They don't punish it. It's not a crime. Nobody dies for committing porneia in the New Testament. When Jesus is alive, nobody's dying. Because Rome does not allow it. That's why you see when the woman is caught in adultery and taken to Jesus, Jesus stops them. Because what they would have been doing by stoning her would have been in rebellion against the government that was over them. He actually spared those guys' lives. So it's not a crime. Nor is it today, is it? 
Nobody gets killed in the United States of America or most of the Western world because of adultery. No guy who goes out and has a fling with his secretary gets found out, gets discovered, do they put before a firing squad and kill. Doesn't happen. Even when it was considered a crime, they didn't kill him. Death penalty isn't instituted for it. It was in the Old Testament. It is not so today. So divorce for porneia becomes the death of the marriage. Because the state is the one that holds the sword and not the church. The state is the one who makes the decision. What is a crime and how is that crime punishable? The Word of God teaches us that. That is the state's business. It is not the business of the church to kill people. That's not our responsibility. That's not our duty. So how do we deal with the problem of for the person whose husband has committed porneia, how do we deal with that person's situation when in the Old Testament her husband would have been killed by the state, in the New Testament sometimes he's given big contracts and he's rewarded. He certainly doesn't suffer death as a result. How does that person get protected? That person may get a divorce because there is no longer a death penalty for pornea crimes, for pornea sins, I should say. And because there is no death penalty for pornea sins, God in his grace, God in his mercy allows for the ending of that marriage because that's what should have happened. That's what the command was in the Old Testament. But we don't live under that Old Testament economy anymore. We don't live under that Old Testament government anymore. King David isn't on the throne. We don't have the elders of each of the tribes. We don't have a priesthood. We now live in this New Testament situation, and in this situation, divorce is granted for sins of porneia. See, in Mark chapter 10, that's not what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with the new world, as it were. They're coming to him, challenging him about the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say? What does the Old Testament say? When Jesus simply answers, no divorce. Notice the, the Pharisees in Mark 10 don't come back with a question. Well, what about adultery? Everybody would have looked at those guys going, what are you talking about? In the Old Testament, they killed the guy or the woman. We just, 
doesn't make any sense to ask that question. That's why they don't ask it. But here you see, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is recognizing, and the Holy Spirit is giving to us, the reality of the world in which we live. That the state no longer punishes this crime. Therefore, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. See, we're in the same point. You do this divorce, any other cause, any other reason, it ends up in an adulterous situation. No matter what the state says, in God's view, it ends up in adultery. Except for when pornea has occurred, that ends it. Why? Because that breaks the covenant. That breaks the oneness. That breaks the bond. When sins of pornea occur, that oneness of relationship between husband and wife is broken. And because of that break, the relationship isn't broken because of burned eggs. The relationship isn't broken because he keeps walking into the house with muddy feet. The relationship isn't broken because he goes off hunting every weekend. That doesn't break the relationship. But sins of pornea break the relationship. In a way that God views as death. That, that's death that has occurred. The death of the marriage. Why? Because, once again, Old Testament, that person would have died. Marriage is done. Sins of Pernea mean that the oneness that is to be exclusively between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, has been broken. So the emphasis, you're down taking notes, we're down at the bottom of the page, see, the emphasis is that Jesus is not saying, go get a divorce. He's not saying that. Jesus is saying it's allowed, it's permitted, but I'm not saying you're commanded. You must. Husband, if your wife has an affair, you must get a divorce. Jesus didn't say that. Wife, if your husband is involved in pornea, you must get a divorce. He didn't say that. Divorce is not a command. It is never commanded. Why? Because I hate divorce, says the Lord. Secondly, the real question that Jesus is after here and is dealing with is that remarriage question. Can the person who is innocent in this marriage of the sin of pornea. So let's just say, you know, it's Mrs. X. She didn't do anything. She didn't do anything wrong. It's Mr. X who's involved in these sins of pornea. 
She then gets a divorce from Mr. Eck. Is she free to remarry? Yes. Why? Because he's a dead man walking. Because that's what he would have been in the Old Testament. He would have been dead. Was she free to remarry then? Yes, she was free to remarry. Are those whose spouses are dead allowed to remarry? Yes. Divorce on the grounds of porneia ends the marriage. She is allowed to remarry. And that's what we always have to step back from, folks. We have to understand that there are, in divorce situations, those who are innocent. Mrs. X isn't involved in porneia. Maybe the circumstance is Mr. X is just sick of her, so he goes and gets a divorce. Well, she's, it's, it's not her fault that the divorce occurred. It's Mr. X that we need to deal with. It's Mr. X that is the one that has committed a sin. And sometimes we, we cast the scourge over both parties when there is an innocent person involved. Do we like divorce? No. Do we encourage it? No. Does God like divorce? No. It has all sorts of ramifications that we talked about last week. But there are times when porneia sins have occurred, when sexual immorality has taken place, that the relationship is so broken and frayed, it cannot be mended, humanly speaking. And God says, that person may divorce. There is also the circumstance I think many of us know about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's the divorce of that, that uh, it's the abandonment issue. But you see, that doesn't really fall into place here because Mark 10 and Matthew 19 are referring particularly to us amongst God's people. It's not about being married to an unbeliever and what the unbeliever does. There's problems, other things there and Maybe sometimes that, that'll be another sermon. But the, the point here, see, they're talking about God's covenant people. That's the question. They aren't coming with the question about, may a Greek divorce his wife? That, that's not their concern. Their concern is within this covenant community. So the question is, within the church, within the confines here of God's people, except for the grounds of porneia. He commits adultery if he marries another or if she marries another. So the answer remains the same. No, not for any cause. And only in the situation where porneia has occurred does adultery not occur when that innocent party remarries? 
And I hate to do this, but I think I need to. Okay? I hate to do it because it's already 1040. Okay? But I need to. We've talked for two weeks about divorce. It's not an easy subject. Give me five minutes to talk about its prevention. How do you prevent these divorces for any cause? How do you prevent the stuff that, that we have to deal with here in Matthew 19.9? Let me give you four very quickly. One, as a Christian, as a believer, and that's who I'm addressing this morning. I'm addressing you as a believer, you as a Christian, myself as a believer in Jesus Christ. Remember the picture. You want to prevent divorce? Keep the picture in front of you. You say, what picture? Our wedding picture? No. That might be more disturbing. Keep the picture of Christ and his church. Because that's what your marriage is to represent. I'm going to prevent going down this road of being upset about all these things and being angry over trivial matters that lead to arguments and end up in big fights that end up in perhaps even fisticuffs that end up in divorces. Well, if you got your focus on the fact that your marriage is to look like Christ in the church, then a lot of that trivial stuff that builds and builds and builds isn't going to build. Because you're going to constantly be thinking, my marriage is to look like Christ in the church. What would Christ have me do? What should the church do with Christ? Secondly, remember to fulfill your biblical responsibilities. God has told you, husband, how you are to be a husband. That you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church. If your wife is a godly woman, if she loves the Lord Jesus Christ, you think she's ever going to seek a divorce? If you're loving her singly like Christ loves his bride? Fulfill your biblical responsibilities. Wife, do you think a husband is actually going to be thinking about sins of pornea if he remembers that he is to be Christ to you? You are to be the church to him. Thirdly, Continue to pursue. Remember when you were dating? You dated for a while and you came to the conclusion we're going to get married? Remember the pursuit? Remember the love? How many times did you argue and fight then over trivial matters? I suppose it's not impossible, but guys, how many other women were you looking at at that time? Continue to pursue. 
woo one another. Why is it a marriage certificate allows you not to open a door anymore for your wife? How come when you get that license, it's like, nope, don't have to do that anymore. Is that an award certificate of excellence, and once you've achieved it, you don't have to do it anymore? Wife, and how did you make yourself ready every time he came over? Guys, did you shower and put on some nice aftershave? Every time you went out on a date, did you try to look your best? Do you still? I said, no, I got this license. I can look the way I want now. She's stuck with me. Well, if you've got a she's stuck with me attitude, we're going to go along the any cause pretty soon. Sooner or later. Because you're not trying to prevent the divorce. You're on the road to it. Continue to woo. Continue to date. Continue to seek to win her heart. Continue to seek to win his heart. Because you see, that's what Christ is doing daily. He's pursuing my heart. And how does the church respond? Fill my heart in every part with praise that my whole being may proclaim thy being and thy ways. Are we that captivated by one another? You want to prevent divorce? Then be as captivated to one another as Christ is to the church and as the church is to Christ. One last thing. Be grateful. Be thankful. Express it often. Take nothing for granted. Because I, as one of the members of the Church of Christ, never want to take Christ for granted. And he promises to never take me for granted. Father, thank you for your word. These are not easy words in the culture and day in which we live. But Father, remind us there's really nothing new under the sun. Our situation. We may be sitting here this morning thinking, yeah, but my situation is different. They didn't have this in Matthew 19. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And besides, you knew all about our situation before the foundations of the world. And you still gave us these words. Our circumstances, our situations don't change your word. Your word is not in a constant state of flux. It's not always there to be reinterpreted. For the new age and the new time, your word is forever settled in the heavens. We may not like it. We might find it hard and difficult to live with, but it is indeed the path of life. For it shows us 
the love of Christ. The love of Christ for wayward people. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Christ's name, God's people say, amen.